good morning for those of you uh, in uh, Canada and uh, good evening for uh, Robbie Shrimp uh, across the pond. That, um, wh where is home right now for you? I live in uh, Riga, Latvia. So Riga, Latvia, um, yeah. Yeah, just in the Baltic, we're in the Baltic Sea. So, so one of my stops on my tour was in, in the KHL play here. So I met my wife here and now we've settled down here. Probably exactly where you thought you'd end up when you were growing up in New York, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, just how I drew it up, man. Just how I dreamed it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So you met your wife out there when you played in the, in the KHL? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we met, and it was kind of weird. It was a small window. I only played here for five, four or five months. So it was actually, you know, one of those things, everything happens for a reason. And uh, met her, and, and we stuck together, and, and now we're married, have a kid. Um, I have a daughter. She's just turned four. So, um been a blessing awesome feel pretty blessed to have you on the show today um i i heard you talking on a different podcast about you know um nobody really accused michael jordan of being a hot dog so today i'm wearing kind of my jordan hoodie um did, <laughs> did you pave the way for a, a kid like in anaheim there trevor zegris i mean were you the zegris before the zegris i think pretty similar to creative mind and, and creative uh you know, skills with the game and Trevor's gotten to a place where he's so comfortable with the puck. Um, you know, you can, you just start doing amazing things as, you know, sometimes people see those things like, I can't believe you did that in a game, but it's, I don't think that really registers when you, once you get that comfortable with the puck and you have that kind of feel with the stick. And um, so from, you know, I think we're on the same level and I think, you know, I was just doing it 20 years ago when it wasn't so popular and there wasn't Instagram and social media to, um, sort of build i guess sort of, uh how do you say it sort of support the play and and get behind it and have that positive you know uh reaction to it back then it was more like scouts in the stands and and they didn't you know they didn't like it so much so it was a little bit different crowd uh that i was doing it for <laughs> Yeah. Per se. yeah you know I, i'm curious because um i mean you've been doing some uh like side side work or full-time work coaching right and uh or training kids if i'm if i'm not mistaken with 44 vision is that what you've been doing like working yeah, so yeah. mentoring players and, and working with uh players through their video um yeah. obviously uh, when you're in the same area it's you can go on the ice and have that mentorship but with the video stuff you know and especially the way today's game is it's all the technology's come a long way there's there's a lot of cameras and uh, there's cameras in a lot of rinks, so these games are, you know, I see it as a big resource, whether it's a, a U12 player or, you know, an NHL player. So um, the big, I think that's – when I retired, I thought that would be a great avenue to kind of go down and, and help the players see it that way, and, and kind of a light bulb went off for me. I was playing in Salzburg, guys were on the bus, and they were uh, watching Fortnite on YouTube, and then they literally pulled their system up on the bus and started doing, you know, kind of – reenacting what they saw on YouTube. So it's kind of like, man, that's exactly like game film for me, at least in my opinion, it's studying that space, studying what's going on in the area. And the thing with film is it used to kind of be, they'd show the, the high, uh, they'd show the all-stars or the, you know, the, the better players and say, look at this guy. Now you have the ability as a 13, 14 year old to see yourself in that space and study that. Right. So I think that's very powerful. Um, and it gives a chance for the players and the kids to build that picture memory in the space. And I, and my, I'm a firm believer that that helps with reaction time, processing things much faster and executing much faster. So 
Um, it used to kind of just be a resource when you got to junior or pro. And now you know, we have the ability to do that again with kids that are at a certain level. There's obviously, you know, there's, there's a certain level you got to be at to be able to use film to, to execute per se. Um, and there's been some instances where it's more like a watch the film, like, okay, this, this player needs more like the, you know, one-on-one skating help or that development um, would be more beneficial than, than studying film. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was kind of curious, like when you now, when you're working with some of those kids, do you, onto the Zegras thing, are you promoting that type of creativity now versus, I mean, it seems like they used to suppress it more when you were cr- probably growing up in the game. Right. And, and, uh, you know, I think why not promote it? Right. I mean, it's fun to watch like kids doing some of the things you were doing back then, but I think probably you got actually some criticism for it at the time. Right. I mean, I remember that there was, uh, you know, times where people would think you were a hot dog, right. But you were just being creative and doing your thing. Um, but now there's still, and even in, even Zegras, that goal, some people criticized, right. And some people loved it. I'm in the, in the love category myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think my, you know, my, um, my youth kind of growing up, I started, having that creativity around 12 years old. So again, I hear a lot of it. And my mom and dad sitting in the stands would hear it the most. I was on the ice and, you know, the players saying something would never bother me. That's, that's great. That means I've, I've gotten to them. Um, but for them, they'd be, they'd be in the stands and they'd be hearing, you know, those rumblings and, and, and the kind of chirping from, you know, some of it was important people with the clipboards and, and saying precisely what you just said, like a hot dog, cocky, blah, blah, blah. Like think of the, the terms that they use. Um, you know, there's one story though, that kind of stuck out to me. It was great. Uh, Mark Hunter, he was sitting at a game, watching me when I was going to be traded from Mississauga, my six year old year. And I had a pregame warmup thing in, in warmups. That was partially for my, for my hand-eye coordination, my feel of the puck. And it was also part entertainment. Um, I knew that people that came early and watched warmups. I remember being a kid going to watch warmups and that was big entertainment for me seeing, I don't know. I remember watching Detroit Red Wings warm up and it was sick and it wasn't so much what I was doing with the puck, like that trick stuff, but it was, I don't know. I had this, it was so unified and like, you know, and just how they flew or like how the flow of the warmup was, I don't know, something of it about it stuck out to me. And, um, you know, for me as a player, then, Again, that was part of my routine. Routine was playing lacrosse with the puck, batting the puck in the air, kicking it off my skate, and then afterwards you could see a kid that was super excited. I'd go and give him the puck. So it's part of entertainment, part of my warm up. Um, but Mark Hunter was there for one of those, and a scout started, you know, giving the spiel about look at that punk, blah blah blah. And he's like, no, no, no. like no, no, no. Do you, do you actually know how hard it is to do that? You know what I mean? Do you know how skilled that is to actually be able to do what he just did? Like I think you're thinking of it the wrong way. So. That was one of those instances that stuck out to me. And Mark Hunter was always, you know, he's great to me. And I, he was a, you know, guys call him a fan of mine. Um, he stuck up for me and, and realized the, you know, what it took to actually do that. And then there's, you know, part of it is if somebody doesn't like it, they tell you, tone it down a little bit. But, um, you know, there's part of the game that's, like I talked about Jordan, I just thought that he was super successful. Not to say that I was anywhere near Jordan, but that's what my idol was. And that's kind of who I grew up watching. So emulating that athlete was what I was driven to do starting from, you know, 10, 11 years old. Um, so I think it's important. You know, I think it's important to have that entertainment value, that interaction piece. Uh, it's super important. Instead of being the <laughs> humble, whatever you want to call it, it's not humble, but it's like, if you do it, like what I was doing, I was not considered humble. It was like punkish, right? <laughs> but it's, you know, it's kind of weird. It's such a weird argument. 
because I'm not even in the argument. <laughs> I'm on the ice. <laughs> good point. Good but, point. I, you know, Michael would just burn you any way he could, you know. Um, if he if it was just blowing by somebody, that's what he would do. But if he needed to hypnotize somebody with a dribble, he could do that too. And, you know, so you've got all that skill set to be able to do all that. Um, I, I, I really like what you, you started to put out there, like um, some of those videos that, you know, you broke down that goal where Connor dismantled the Rangers and, uh, you know, Leon's passing and that. Uh, that's phenomenal stuff, Rob. I, I look at that and I'm, it's like, I'm watching like a, you know, a millennial version of, of Howie Meeker all over again. I mean, um, it's, it's phenomenal what you're doing there. And I, I just, I, I love those. And uh, you know, <laughs> the Oilers could probably use you as a video coach. Um, how, how many games, how many games of theirs do you actually get to watch? Uh, or, or, or do you just watch kind of bits and pieces? I watch bits and pieces. It's so late for me over here. Yeah. Uh, it's tough to stay up and watch full games. So um, just watch as much as I can until I kind of conk out having a four-year-old where you don't the course of the day. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> the morning comes three, four in the morning, five in the morning. Sometimes it comes pretty, pretty, uh, pretty tough. But um, yeah, I mean, even I appreciate the feedback. And I remember the first one I did, it was, it was random. I just wrote a note on it. I think it was the Lowry. I was against Winnipeg and he, he roasted a guy in the neutral zone. I just saw, I saw it quick and I was like, I can't believe how fast that happened. And it really wasn't a huge mistake by Lowry. It was literally one mistake with the foot footwork. And from that one mistake, it opened up a huge gate and you can kind of, for me, I saw it the first time and could see where he, Connor started kind of calculating and mapping out his route. And then the one mistake he picked apart. And then I just wrote my opinion on that. And the fam's like, can you break that down? So I did. And I thought it was, you know, the idea with those just kind of gives a, people some a chance to really read into those instead of it having to be so much like obs, uh, what's the right word observing it and seeing what everybody else did. I wanted to like help break down the details and show the calculations of what Connor sees and how he gets to where it gets not so much of like just talking about how fast he was going and how he scored the goal. There's probably four or five, six other details that it takes to understand fully. Um, Cause that's also the other thing in my opinion a lot of the kids nowadays, they don't watch full games. They watch just highlights and they see the end. They don't see the, you know, kind of the whole piece and what it, you know, what the other details, what the other ingredients are uh, to execute some of this stuff. So that's where you see, they try to go out the next couple of days or whatever, after those highlight real goals and they're trying to duplicate it. But they, again, they, don't, they do it in the wrong place. So even stuff like with a shootout, you'll see players or kids come down and do the exact move they saw in the highlight and it's the wrong time. The goalie's not even biting or the goalie's not even moving. So it really tells you kind of indicator. That's the indicator that they don't know why that works. They just saw it and they're trying to do it again. Yeah. A read and react uh, kind of thing. Eh? Um, when when yeah. you break, break down like Connor's plays, you know, as a basketball player, like I was a dual sport athlete when I was growing up too. So, you know, you're standing outside the three point line, you jab step somebody, if they don't bite on it, then, then you mm -hmm. explode. If they do back off, then you've got your three point shot. I mean, you're kind of doing the same thing with the, you know, with Connor and those plays and, and Leon with his backhand sauces, you know, uh, 90 feet down the ice, uh, the amazing ability there. Do you, you know, Connor, you see him and you see the explosive speed and everybody recognizes that. But I mean, you start to get into like his hockey IQ being kind of off the charts with what he's looking for when he, when he's using that speed too. And that's, that's so amazing that, 
like it's almost like you have kind of his mind a little bit um and, and give us a window to to what he's doing there and i think it's just unbelievable and uh i thank you for that <laughs> um oh, thank you yeah like more of those please um what what is your like day-to-day uh over there like now like how how much hockey are, are you still playing uh, I'm not playing anymore. I'm, I'm doing a lot of this uh, mentoring. I just got back from Slovenia. I'm working with I'm mentoring two players there that are um, two kids. There's one, um, Greg Posler and uh, Tarek, um, uh, I struggle with his last name, Mukovic. Um, it's Slovenian, so I'm working on, on my pronunciation. <laughs> but they're two kids I had a camp last summer in, in Bled, Slovenia, and they were at the camp, and I just saw something in them. And then through the course of the year, I've been – keeping an eye on them. And now they're at a stage where uh, at their age level, they're 17 and 16, um, just trying to mentor them and help them kind of take that next step in their game. Um, and that's, that's, so that's something I'm kind of taking on right now is that mentorship role. And then fly, like for me, I flew in for them for this thing. I had a U18 tournament this uh, past week where they took on uh, France and Hungary. It was supposed to be Italy, but Italy had to back out, came down there a week before and skated them. And then, watch the games and kind of saw what in, 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 uh, in person just to get a gauge of it. Um, outside of that, there's, I've been doing a lot of video. So I watch a lot of game film and it's, it's a range from pro all the way down. I got a kid, uh, Christopher Pinko. He's a, he's a U11. He's, it's, he's a sick player. It's, it's been fun to have that huge, uh, big range of, you know, players per, per se from the age ranges, you see the trends, you see the different, you see, I see a lot of, uh, Zegris or Sveshnikovs or Lacroix, whatever you want to call them, uh, Michigan attempts at yeah. that age. It's pretty, it's coming, you know, and the kids are starting to see it and it's a lot of fun for them. So it's really, it's been great to watch that and see the kind of the development of the game, the development of the skill. And what I will say is, you know, watching this big range of um, players per se in the age ranges, uh, it's weird how the skill has come so far. I think kids at like 14, 15 years old now are, are more skilled than I'd say half the NHL players were 20 years ago. I'm not saying they're better. I'm saying they're more skilled. The things that their edges, their skating, their handling of the puck. But what does stick out to me is, is the hockey IQ part is, is a little bit low and where to insert these high end skills and where, you know, big thing for me is about the, how you're attacking the net. You got to be planning that out the whole, you know, the whole, from in my opinion, when it starts in the neutral zone, you really start to plan your attack there, and it's starting all the way from back there to your attack at the net. So ma- mapping this out and seeing where you're going to start to attack and your trajectory towards the net comes into play. What you'll see now is someone goes up the ice with unbelievable speed, unbelievable hands, and then the next thing you know they're standing in the corner. They have no attack on net, so they've, they've that skill didn't really benefit them. It just looked better than it would have 20 years ago. So I'd I'd love to get your opinion on some Oilers relevant things, but I but I'm kind of more curious now that you've been talking about this and the and the kids and their talent level and how that's changed. Uh, what do you see in the game? You know that um, that that needs to change, right? Like to adapt to what's coming up. Like, is there? Do you think that the what we watch in the NHL today? 10 years from now is going to be a completely different product than it is today. Like, I mean, we're obviously seeing more of the Zegrises and Svechnikovs and, and that in the league. Uh, but obvi- defenders are going to have to change their game a little bit. Um, I know that's not your, uh, you know, area, but, um, 
you know, what, what's going to have to change in the NHL to accommodate this? And, and do you like the direction it's going? Do you, is that something you prefer? I think it's, um, the direction in 10 years, I think it's going to probably, the game's getting so fast. It's either going to have to be a little bit more, in my opinion, more of a hybrid from the old school game. I think it's getting very fast and I say concern is the walls aren't moving. The speed's just getting faster. So it's something along the lines of that. And, you know, the bigger ice is not, not to say the European ice is a solution, but maybe a hybrid in that the, the size of the rink gets a little bit bigger, just add some space. So the speed can kind of, it's getting really fast, you know, and these races to the dot for the office for the face um, icings, it's just one edge slip away from being trouble. Uh, there's good. So I think there needs to be either a little bit more of it, again, hybrid of the rules. Some of the, I don't want to say that the hooking and slashing and, and that stuff is cold hooking, holding, slashing, or whatever you want to call it. Um, not so much that, but maybe the interference where you can kind of give your defenseman or your teammate a second more, um, go back and get the pucks. And also what we're seeing too, is a lot of the headshots. A lot of these headshots are not malicious. It's almost like they don't have a choice. You, if you don't finish the hit, then you'd be in trouble for not finishing. The hit, and the guy would have a wide open chance. So that's my opinion. I think, maybe the, the, you know, the rank dimensions might have to change. Um, and I think what's coming in the next 10 years, as far as the development of the, the youth is again, the skill level is coming high. I think it's going to be a very entertaining game because it's starting to happen, right? Uh, we're getting more and more lacrosse and we're getting more and more stretch off goals, high end skill stuff. Um, it's less of the barbaric and, and, you know, grinded out brawls kind of hockey. It's, it's, it's a lot more skill. So there's not, I don't know what the average fights are now, but you guys know that stat. But it's super low. I think it's like 0.25. We haven't had a fight uh, with the Oilers in a while now, so <laughs> I'd say, yeah, it's it's not very. And it, you know, every team obviously it depends on who they've got on their team. But you know, there's a couple guys that can drop the mitts on the Oilers, but they don't do it very often anymore. Um, which I think would have been unheard of, you know, ten, fifteen years ago, if you had two star players on your team. Right, that would be that would be the team where you'd probably have the most fights. Uh, guys, you know, uh, like Connor got hit the other day, uh, mid mid ice, and and um, you know a couple cross checks uh, from Yamamoto, but that was about it. I mean, nobody dropped the mitts. Not like it, you know. I I think you know a lot of cases that would be the case right away. Right. Is that Hathaway hit? Yeah, the Hathaway hit. Great hit, by the way. But uh, <laughs> and, and Connor yeah. just never gets hit like that, right? So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe everybody in this, everybody in the arena is probably still in shock, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many times do you see him get hit like that? Almost never, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, so one of the things this is kind of Oilers relevant, and uh, something we've been thinking about. Obviously, we've got a new coach, which you know could say almost any day of the week in oil country. Uh, but I, I'm curious, if the first time behind the bench, Jay Woodcroft comes in and we see a noticeable difference in uh, the allocation, the time allocation for Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, play a lot less minutes, a little bit equal across the lineup. In your mind, like, is is that was that maybe one of the drawbacks of the Tippett style was just asking too much of of McDavid and and Drysital? I mean, you're you're a skilled player, so you know when you like, especially in London, when you're putting up all those points, 
right? I mean, if you was there a point at which you could look back and say maybe I was playing too much one of these games or you know, I like in my mind, the way I look at it, and I was never a skilled player, I was always one of the role players, right? Like if you only played me seven minutes a night, I was hard for me to get in the game, right? And hard for me to do my job, right? Whereas, you know, uh I think if you know, anybody wants to play lots of minutes, but is does the reverse sort of happen and that you can't get those role players doing what they need to do and help out the skilled players? Like what's your thought on that? I mean, just the time allocation piece. Um, yeah, it's just tricky because as you know, McDavid, he's uh very dominant and he's it seems like he never runs out of fuel. Mm-hmm. Um there's been a few games where it's been you know, he's been stifled a little bit and probably gotten frustrated in the game. And you can see it, you just keep trying, keep trying and not succeeding. And that's, you know, you'd have to flag that game and be able to find that sort of tell during the game to pull him back and say, let's tonight's not, you know, let's give him less minutes or whatever. So that'd be on the spot, but overall, you know, he's so dominant, he's such a superstar and he's so driven, passionate. It's, I think he wants those minutes. The the problem is, is and I, I'll be honest with you, I love it. I mean, that's there's not much of that anymore. Uh, it is more you check the time slots for all the teams and the shifts are the top forwards are playing 17, 18 minutes. And a big night for afforded minutes these days is like 21 minutes. And you get, you know, Dreisaitl and, and McDavid some nights of 25, 26. You don't see it very much anymore. But I, I personally enjoy seeing it and watching them because they're so entertaining. But the problem is, is, you know, in the old days, that would those guys were so dominant. They would have such control of the game; it'd be out of reach. Where in today's game, four lines are played. Like your four, you don't have the fighters anymore. You don't have the pure meat. It's like pretty much most teams have four lines of guys that can all skate, can all play. Can you know what I mean? So it's a little bit more balanced that way. Um, so then, when you're asking your third, fourth line guys, like you said, to, to chuck down, maybe you know whatever. Let's say seven to ten minutes they're not as effective as the other teams their fourth lines are because they're more into the game, more invested per se, more minutes. Um, you know, I think that's maybe where the, you know, the imbalance comes in. And so it's tough because they are so dynamic and they are so dominant when they're on the ice, their numbers are through the roof. They have the puck all the time. Um, so it's a tricky balance, but in my opinion, I, I, you know, selfishly i just love watching those guys on the ice because they make plays every time they touch the puck and seem to make a play you know and it's a sick play it's something that most guys can't do so it's you want more and more of it but i think over the course of a long season it's going to have to be somewhere you know a better balance per se because it does get long and the playoffs only get harder you have a favorite moment robin in your uh, hockey career um We'd have to go all the way back to junior, to be honest with you. Mem Cup was was the pinnacle. It was amazing. It was a great year and learned a ton that year. Um, played with some great players, learned from a great coach, um, learned a lot that year. And then obviously to finish off with a championship, there was no better feeling. And um, yeah, they never it never got it never got as good as that per se. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean the Memorial Cup, I mean, is is something else, right? Like it is um it's pretty difficult to win. I mean, when you think you got to get out of your out of your league, and then you got to win a you know a single game to win it all, like it's just uh, 
to me, it's, you know, um, we talk about how difficult the Stanley Cup is. Obviously, it is, uh, you know, um, but Memorial Cup's got to be pretty equal in terms of, you know, the level of competition against level of competition, uh, you know, and, and just how many leagues are going after it, how many, how many teams are going after it. Uh, and one gets the, you know, one gets the, the ultimate. And you know, I mean, you never, you rarely think about the league champions, right? Like who the OHL champions are that year. It's it's all about you know who won the Memorial Cup, who won the Memorial Cup, right? Like I grew up in Western Canada, and I don't know other than when the Oil Kings won the one year. I don't think I could tell you who the WHL champions are, but I remember all the Memorial <laughs> Memorial Cup champions, right? Like. Such a difficult process. Um, I was thinking about that, you know, favorite memory. You've got a, you must have like a collection of pucks with the tape around them and the markers uh, <laughs> marked down. What's uh, what's the big puck in your collection that you that you have, that you're proudest of? Definitely the first first NHL goal against Tim Thomas um, was was a huge moment and you know awesome. It was great. Took a long time to get it, um, but it was it was uh, it was amazing. I remember yeah, it wasn't really how I drew up scoring my first show goal either. <laughs> I seen it you know a thousand times going bar down, but it was uh, I bounced it off his ass from behind the net. <laughs> so anyway, I take it how you get it. Man, at that level, but uh, I remember I scored and I went crazy. I didn't go crazy, but went celebration. I was so excited, so much emotion. I, I went big lap, pump fist pump, and then I basically hurtled into Mark Streit's hands. I was broke his back <laughs> right in his arms. So like a scene out of dirty dancing, but uh, yeah, that moment was, <laughs> was special to I mean, through a lot. And it was just took me a long time to get there and, and stay there. And uh, that moment was really special. My, my mom and dad got to watch it. So oh, right it's, it's even more special. Yeah. Yeah. Just tripping up the pocket and uh, you know, doing what you can do or, you know, what you used to do. Um, like, at what stage did that come? I, like, because you weren't doing, like, just a basic Michigan behind the net. I mean, you could do that on the fly. My, my son, he's 14, and he's starting to kind of be able to pick it up a little bit behind the net, but it's a process, right? I mean, you could, you could basically do it on the fly. Like, where did – when did that happen? Same time <laughs> or – yeah, I played a lot of lacrosse as a kid growing up, and that was the off-season sport for me. Um, played probably since I was eight to eight to twelve, roughly. I played so four years, and I remember I was, I was like the summer turning eleven years old. I just started to kind of think like, why, why not do it with a hockey puck? And started doing it with a hockey puck. I, you know, pick. I saw the Michigan. I saw that, so I learned that. And then again, I started thinking, like, why not play lacrosse with it? And I just started doing it, and it worked. Like, it just literally stuck to my – I cradled it like a lacrosse stick. And I kind of, like – I didn't probably didn't say that, but now that I – at the time at 11, but I was like, you know, holy shit. Like, it worked. Like, it, it was a cool, <laughs> and it stuck to my stick. And then I just kind of, like – and it went to, like, just pure kind of creativity and imagination with it, whatever I could do with it, and it would stick to my – and I knew how to, like, cradle – you know, that's how you dodge – I was kind of doing it over my head with a hockey stick is how you dodge a check in lacrosse. You know, you roll your hands over your, over your head or over the check and that's how you get around it. And then you bring it back to your hands. So I just put two and two together and then just started doing it. So, um, I remember going to band on major tryouts and I was a 12 year old playing with 14, 15 year olds. And I pulled it off and all the 
it was kind of a, when I first got there, it was kind of like, oh, why is this 12 year old here sort of thing. And then I started doing this stuff and was, the, the, they, you know, the words started changing. <laughs> it wasn't that so much, <laughs> but and that was just, for me, that was kind of the moment it made me realize that like, it was pretty cool. And it, it really, you know, it did draw attention, so to speak. People liked it. Some people didn't like it, but you know, so a lot of people did like it. Those was it was just different. It was unique, and I thought it was for me. I was pretty good with the puck, um, handled the puck really well. And this was just kind of elevating that and kind of challenging my my abilities. And for me, it's it's more it's more objective than than people think. It's it's not as it is very entertaining, very showy, but also for the you know the Michigan side of it. How else would you put the puck in the net from behind the net? Mm-hmm. You could bank it off them. But then if you talk about risk and this and that, and, you know, whatever the argument's going to be, if you miss it, if you try to bank it off the goalie's, you know, back of his leg or off his pants or off the back of his shoulders and miss, that would be a breakout. You know, if you try a Michigan or Spetsnikov, whatever era we want to call it, I think it's out of respect. It's to Michigan because, you know, Mike Leg pulled it off back in the 90s. And yep. he was a really one that, that opened all of our eyes to it. So, Tough to call it the special club, even though I respect his skill, but it's it's Mike Legg's goal. And it wasn't actually Michigan's goal, it was Mike Legg. <laughs> the Michigan, it was Mike Legg, so we should always preference him in it. Yeah. Um, but if you drop it back there, it's it's what it's 200 feet away from your net. Who cares? That's that's how I kind of see it a little bit too. Like, how else would you get in the goal? And if you mess it up, who cares? Then start the cycle. Um, you know, and then I see it in the middle of the ice coming down on one-on-ones or even on odd man rushes, like when you take it up and pick it up on your stick and you put it on your hip, when you put it on your hip, your reach and your range becomes further. It becomes further away from the Dean. It becomes a different trajectory at them versus if you come at them and you're stick handling one-on-one, the puck's kind of either sort of in front of you and you're trying to challenge a triangle, you know, think about that visual versus having this on your hip and having it up in the air. And I would, if you would, envision that think about it from the defenseman's perspective like you're looking at a guy coming down stick handling right at you you got him you see the puck you see his chest cancel that guy comes down scoops it up on his stick however you want to scoop it up he's now got it on his hip like what do you do you can't really there's not much you can do and then you know the whatever some guys get mad they're going to swing their stick k if you slash the guy it's, it's a penalty you can't spear the guy spear or slash is kind of the only way you're going to get a, a handle on that so those draw penalties. If he doesn't do that, then you're as a player walking in on him and your trajectories on the net all change. You can throw like a lacrosse stick. So objectively looking at it, it just, it made a lot of sense to me. It always did, but it was, it was more defending that it's, you know, it's hot dogish or, or cocky or whatever the negativity was. I always saw it differently. I saw it in that regard because it's, it just made sense to me. Um, and then to flip it around for entertainment value, it's, People love it. You know, fans love it. They, they, they love the creativity of it. They love the difficulty of it. It's not easy to do for the average Joe. Um, so it's a different dynamic to the game. I think it's, it's not just about showmanship either. So it's, it's, it is objective in some, in some way, if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm kind of, I want to take this back to an Edmonton thing. Cause I, you know, you spent some time in Edmonton uh, your memory of the city itself, you, like a positive memory that you have of the city city itself, was there a place that you'd go to hang out that you really enjoyed or something? I mean, you weren't, I guess you, you know, you didn't play a ton uh, when you were in Edmonton, but there's got to be a couple of positives there. Um, where, where were you hold up 
when you were in town? Like, where did you stay? Was it hotel or did you bill it with somebody or stay at somebody's place? Uh, most of the time I was there, I was in the Sutton place downtown. I'm not sure if it's still the same. Yeah, it's still Sutton place. Uh, yeah, stayed there. So that was most of the time. And then, um, you know, one year I had enough of that and I stayed with a, a buddy of mine, Blaine Stewart. Uh, he was an awesome guy. He ran an establishment there in White Ave, and he was just a great dude. And I had a surgery one year, and, and I had no one there. Nobody was there. Uh, most of the guys were off into their summer stuff and summer training and elsewhere. So um, he took me in, and I stayed at his house most of the time, and, and we got together and played some golf. And um, he made it really enjoyable for me. Um, he, was, he was a great friend. So, um, yeah, I, did, I didn't spend much time there. You know, it was training camps, really. Um, and then the one year I had surgery. So um ton of time and especially on those days it was kind of budget right so it was earls and i think joey tomatoes you know it was, we thought it was super you know it, it's really good restaurant i'm not shitting on it but it's you know <laughs> we thought it was super classy and you know but um uh, that's mostly where i spent our time danny sabrat myself we go there and, and get sushi and uh even then as coming out of junior we thought that that was classy <laughs> we were eating sushi but <laughs> Um, the one year, the, the, the Stanley cup year, uh, Oh six, we got a chance to be black aces there. And, and that was something really eye opening about the city and like how it embraced the team. And obviously we all know the stories of the eighties and, and what they had and how the city was. Um, but that being an experience that and seeing how the town, you know, the city came alive and it was, we weren't part of it. We were black aces, so we weren't really playing, but being in the building, even on the catwalk for the national anthem, the whole building shaking, that was, it was, it was pretty electric and it was something that was like, this would be awesome to win here and, and play for this team and, and have that kind of energy. When we, London, we had 10,000 fans, but that was like what I think it was 20,000 fans in the Rexall and the building was literally shaking. So, and then after, during the week leading up to the games, the city was buzzing, you know, it was, it was really, it was a great experience to see and, so it's an obviously a passionate town. So um, that, that stuck out to me a lot and, you know, I was lucky to be around for that. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine what that would have felt like. Uh, what a disappointing end of that series. But uh, we had George LaRock on a couple of years ago and he was talking about how, you know, the, uh, the dressing room was shaking. It was so loud, like, you know, just how intense it was. And, and I remember, you know, it was like a ghost town outside once game time started. Uh, everybody was at a set and, and the city was just, you know, it was phenomenal. Yeah, it was um, just from a fan's perspective, I can only imagine being up in the catwalk. And Rexall, uh, although, um, I don't, have you been to the new Rogers yet? No, I haven't. I haven't been back. I haven't been back. I've been in Europe for a long time, so I haven't seen a new place. Yeah, it's it's pretty phenomenal. <laughs> it's it's uh it's a little bit different than uh than the old Rexall, but Rexall was great. I <laughs> you know, I spent a lot of a lot of games over there, played there a couple times too and really enjoyed it and but the um everything at uh at the new Rogers is different now. I mean, as you could as you could imagine. Yeah, I mean they re they re uh did the room, they renovated the room. I think it was right before my last mm -hmm. year with the team, the year, but my last training camp with the team. Um, it was really nice. They upgraded everything. It was it was obviously something that needed to be done. There was the old school, the old room was great and it had that history to it and the feel to it. But and you know everything's 
modernizing and, and these new buildings that were going up, it was tough for them to compete with, with the free agency market with the old school room and selling it on this, you know, who had been in there, so to speak. And it was, it needed to be revamped and they did. And it was, it was actually phenomenal. So they made the place really great for the players. And um, I can only imagine what they did to the new rink. And I, I haven't been there. You, I think you have from the sounds of it, obviously. And um, it's great for the players to have that place to call home and somewhere to be, you know, excited to go to. And, um, you know, that stuff matters, you know, you spend a lot of time there as a player. So it's, it's part of, you know, kind of attaching these emotions to, to come into work, so to speak. And it's, it's awesome. They get the new building and I think it's right down by the, I don't know. It's, it's down by where the Sutton place was, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's right there. In fact, I was going to bring that up when you said the Sutton, uh, the guys stay at the Marriott now, which is significantly nicer. There's, you know, a really nice executive level and, uh, I've stayed at both and I'll probably stay at the Marriott before I stay at the Sutton again. Uh, of course the Sutton, you know, for it's an older classier hotel, like back in the day, it would have been nice. Uh, but it's certainly, you know, it's a little bit dated in comparison. Uh, so too bad you missed out on that, <laughs> but, but yeah. still, hey, yeah. And you can pedway it over to the game, right? Like yeah. they just walk right. In fact, yeah. I, um, Caleb Jones, I, I, uh, went with, uh, I was staying there after a game and ran into him as we were both heading onto the elevator. Um, and they obviously had a floor dedicated to the team. I, uh, was in the, on the executive floor once and Ken Holland, uh, had breakfast behind me uh in the um little free brunch area or whatever and and uh i did try to listen in to see if he had any tidbits i could put on the podcast but uh <laughs> he, he didn't let I, you you'll find you'll find this interesting um rob he um he was talking to i don't know who his friend was that he was having breakfast with but i was snooping in on the conversation and he uh, the conversation got to whether or not he would have, he would encourage a kid to play NCAA or CHL. And Ken Holland said uh, NCAA, which is not surprising given his uh, desire to let uh, kids play a little bit longer in the uh, development leagues. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, being obviously a OHL graduate. I think it's, it's come such a long ways NCAA and, and, I think the new the new era NHL really kind of mirrors that that type of hockey. It's it's kind of the same. Where I think maybe back when I was growing up, it was the OH the CHL was was kind of so similar to the NHL. The NCAA was so different, in my opinion. That's how I see it. I could be you know that was how I saw it. And you go to the CHL to kind of get acclimated to that type of hockey, that physical, tough, a lot of games, travel type of hockey versus NCAA was less games. And it was um, not so much like, you know, the grind of, of a CHL season. So, I, but now I think it's really balanced out. And I think, you know, I don't think the schedule has gotten any more games per se in the NCAA, but the, the type of hockey that's in the NHL is, is much more balanced out of how NCAA is. It's not so much CHL is going to hundred percent get you better or more prepared per se than NCAA we're seeing it. And that those years of development are huge because now we have, in my opinion, so much player development, so much individual work is going into this game. Now, um, you know, you go to the CHL, it's, it's tough. You got to be at a certain level. You got to be ready to make that jump mentally, physically. Um, when I say make that jump, that jump to pro because your window is small. 
if you get a you know a top couple round draft pick, you're going to play at 16. If you're not, you get you can start at 17. And then when you hit 20, there's only three overagers allowed. So you see how much that window shrinks and shrinks. If you're a kid that's going to go to play in the CHL, then you know you're making your statement that you're ready. If you want to carry on with hockey, I know you can go play. Um, see, I think it's CIS hockey afterwards. But once you go and you take that eligibility away, um, you know you're you're kind of strapped. And you also have windows after where if you want to go play pro, you only you get like two years to play, and then you got to decide if you're going to take your package from CHL. So again, all those variables going into it, it's kind of comes back to the pressure on the player and deciding on you know, are you going to go play in the CHL? Are you going to play in the CHL because your buddy did and you think it's cool and it's awesome and this and that? Like that's that's probably not your answer. If you're thinking of going to CHL because you want to take your shot at pro and you're ready to challenge and and make that push inside that window, I, you know that's up for you as a player. But the, the days are over where it's kind of pick one or the other. I think both have tons of benefits, and I think NCAA actually has more benefits with the bigger window of opportunity as far as development um, and being an older age. I saw something along the lines today where they were comparing uh, Cal McCarr to Victor Hedman in their first x amount of games and you know the difference being is cal came in at 23 and victor came in at 18 i mean that's it's such a difference you know a huge gap you think of those age even as us as individuals he just as humans from the time you're 18 how much stupid stuff he did compared to 23 maybe maybe not me still, not me but yeah, yeah. yeah yeah of course <laughs> not of us but other people yeah. for sure um just even as maturity goes you know and it's such a big it's such a bigger window to kind of develop and get there as a, as a human. And also with your development, you know, there's a lot to be said about, you know, your physical, um, your physical development really doesn't start until you're 19 years old. And you think about that in the CHL, you're hitting your, you know, one more year left, maybe if you play overage or um, for me, I left it and I played my 19 year and then I went and played pro. Right. So just as I started developing as a man, jumped in with the men, with college, you're getting there, and that's you know, if you go at 18, that's your second year in school. You're starting to you hit the weights really hard. You got that, you know, you don't have as many games, so there's that room for development. There's there's enough to be said about either lane, but I don't think it's one or the other. It's it's really depending on where the player is at in their development, both mentally and physically, as a teenage kid. You bring up Kale McCarr, and it almost seems like there's a bit of a new avenue too. Um, you know, guys playing in the AJHL and then you know, getting seen there to uh, NCAA and uh, going about it that way, you know, used to be if you were a junior A player, chances of becoming a pro were, were pretty limited, but now, now it's opening up uh, more and more kind of have a local product here uh, that, that played uh, for like, I live in Grand Prairie and Carter Rowney kind of played for the storm a little bit here and then, and then NCAA and then, uh, you know, spent some time in Pittsburgh and Anaheim. So, uh, yeah, um, I, th- I think that's good. I think the more ways that, uh, you know, people can get exposed uh, and get seen, the, the better for the game. Um, not just everybody coming out of, uh, you know, CHL hockey anymore. Yeah, I think there's so much. Again, there's a lot of interest. The game's growing. There's so much individual work. So it's, it's just different. You don't have to go the, the typical paths. And I think you know, typical is, is a pretty good word for hockey. It's kind of been a typical way in a lot of ways. Um, I think a lot of that's changing. So it's, there's a lot of new to it, you know, and a lot of developing 
things that are going on and it's not so much, I think it's once and you're in a certain area, you see one guy go a certain path and everyone thinks that that's the path where, you know, that's not really the truth of it. Every path is unique and different. And it's not, if you take, you know, I think a lot of, you get that when you played pro, a lot of people ask, you know, about your path and they want their kid to do the same. And I always say it's, it's not the same for everybody. It never is going to be the same for everybody. It won't be. Um, there's always going to be different, you know, different variables. So I think there's a lot, it's, it's like you said about the AJ, it's there's, you don't have to, again, go to the typical leagues. There's other leagues that are developing where it's, it's a matter of situation, not, not so much of the same path. It's what situation you can get yourself into. Sometimes as a player, it all it takes is a, is a coach to believe in you or something of that sort, somebody to believe in you and, and give you that spark and give you that kind of uh, knowledge or, or confidence. And, you know, that's the thing with a lot of players, they kind of look at the better players with envy instead of looking at them and studying them. You know, it's, it's just an awe of like, oh, they do that. There's no way I could do that. But I think once you have that belief and you understand when I do the break, why I do those breakdowns on, you know, with Connor and these top end players, it's, they're amazing hundred percent. But if you look at a, a different view, look at the details, you break down each detail. It's like, can you do that? Yeah. Can you do that part of it? Yeah. Can you do that part of it? Yeah. Can you string it together? That's probably your problem. So that's what we'll work on is just stringing all those things together. And it's like, well, that's not that hard. You know, it's making it more obtainable. Um, once you get that belief in your game, and I think it's coming that way, kids are getting super confident, right? The league is so young now. Um, they're hitting that stride at 16, 17, 18 with tons of confidence. And it's not just about the confidence that they can actually do these things. And, you know, that's a big part of it, though. Believing in yourself and believing that you can do it no matter who's on the ice. Big thing for me is, you know, the rink is the same shape for all of us and the nets are in the same place for, for all of us. They're always going to be in the same spot. So it's simplifying it that way and just, you know, finding these patterns that work and, when it comes game time, being able to do it, you know, it's a lot of it's just believing in your game. So no path is the same. And it's, it's more about that. It's believing you can do it. First of all. Um, so on Facebook uh, last week, we had a question from uh, uh, Michael and, and my mutual friend. Uh, he's a comedian in Edmonton, uh, Lars Kaliu. <laughs> he wants to know what your favorite uh, restaurant is. Uh, you know, and, and place to hang out or go for drinks in Edmonton was uh, when you were playing there. If you can even remember that, but uh, what do you got? Yeah, Earl's was <laughs> it, man. Joey, two meals and Earl's, man. That was our spot. We went there every day. Danny Severo every day for lunch and dinner. And then we go back to the Sun Place and crawl back in our hotel rooms. <laughs> we didn't, you know, we didn't have enough. But that year with the, with the, uh, Stanley Cup. We got a couple of times we went to the guys' regular restaurants with them. They let us go with them on game day for pregame lunch. And you could see how they were treated and, and how it was, how they again, how the city wrapped around them and that. Um, you know, that was it was pretty cool. But we didn't, I didn't experience it. So I can't, I can't even say in, in a restaurant like that, only Earls and, and Joey Tomatoes. But I get and then the other thing is the West Edmonton Mall. I mean, I am regretful how much time I spent there, but it was better than <laughs> sitting in a hotel. <laughs> it was terrible. But we spent a lot of time there strolling around doing nothing. Well, you know, I have like a goofy ritual. Every every time I'm in Edmonton, before I come home, if my skates are, you know, in the vehicle, I, I go for a twirl on, on the ice at West Ed. Uh, it, I don't know. I'm an idiot. But uh, that's the showboat in me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I always do that. I always go for a skate and listen to the iPod and, uh, and then 
because I'm four hours away, so that kind of cools me down for the drive home. Yeah. So, Rob, another. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, you know, I was going to say another another year of training. Everyone I got called up. I, this guy, uh, Dave Murray, I stuck out. He was a good friend of mine. He lived in in uh, up in West Edmonton area, but I spent some time there as well. So, it's just again, memories are coming back and um, thinking about my time there. So. But nothing relevant. Just had a thought. I want to spit it. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Uh, well, I was going to say. I mean, I know you grew up uh, in the New York area. Were you a Rangers or an Islanders fan? And then you know, getting the chance to go back and play. How exciting was that for you? Yeah, I was a big Rangers fan. Mike Richter. I wanted to be Mike Richter forever, and uh, <laughs> doing the split saves, split glove saves, and. You know, I took Mark Messier's one foot snapper off the right wing probably a million times, you know, yeah. um, against Bredor. So I was a big fan growing up, had the Rangers jacket, Rangers helmet. Have you met Messier um, now? You know, so I've never actually met, I've never met Messier. I never have. Yeah, I met uh, Wayne Gretzky. I made, did a, I made a movie with Wayne when I was 12 years old. <laughs> Out in California, we did this movie, uh, Wayne Gretzky's Train to Win. Um so that was pretty cool as a kid to be able to do that and meet him and spend, I would be there for 10 days in Orange County. And, it, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. Tim Conley was, uh, he's from my area and, and he was with uh, Mike Barnett and the IMG agency. So they needed a, a kid my age and I was kind of on the map and Timmy's like, we'll bring this kid out. So it was awesome. It was great, but I never got a chance to be, uh, to meet Mark Messier. He was, he was an idol for a long time of mine. Yeah. My, you know, interesting. My, of course I grew up in Edmonton and my uh, dad would run into those guys on the regular back when you used to be able to run into NHL guys anywhere in the city. Uh, it doesn't really happen anymore. Everybody's kind of, as the game begins to be a little bit more celebrity or pro sports, I think, you know, guys sort of retreat a little bit more. Uh, they're not out as much in the public domain as they used to be, um, but back in those days, um, seeing and uh, seeing the my dad was a big horse racing fan, but going down to the the horse track and seeing the Stanley Cup in the in the uh, in the window at the horse track on the regular uh, was pretty cool. Uh, I'll tell you. So I, I grew up an Oilers fan, and and we were of course sad as Oilers fans to see Messier. Uh, but I saw him the first time he came back in a Rangers uniform to Edmonton, and of course he played in the AJHL. We were talking about that earlier today too. But hell of hell of a player. Hope hope you get a chance to meet him because uh, yeah, he's he's just about as great an individual as he was a player for sure. Yeah. yeah, that's the tough thing about the new era too. Is is that what you talked about? Touchdown. I think that's all. That was always part of the pro sports was being in with the communities and you know not to beat around the bush, going out and having beers after the game with the fans and and talking hockey, talking shop, and um, you know really made it more community than than celebrity. And in London, that was a big thing too. You know, when we got to be. Of drinking age of course um being out with those people in the in the community and talking again kids our own age and and talking it and making them feel part of it or even you know sometimes we go to the spot joe cools and, and sh shoot the shit and have a beer with an older guy and it was it was it was such a good feeling to to mingle and then when you win you know as you win as a team it's winning as a community and i you know i'm sure i'm preaching the choir with with how edmonton was in the 80s but that was a big part of it was that you know, you're so close to it as a fan in, in that regard, uh, coming to the building and watching the game, but also in, in the town going out and having a beer, running into it, 
you know, these guys and kind of realizing they're just like anybody else in some regard, obviously they got a cool gig and playing at the highest level. But when you have a beer with most of the hockey guys, that's, that's kind of the feedback you always got was what a great guy or easy to talk to, or, you, you know, I didn't think you, whatever, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's more hockey guys are always, we're always that cut from that cloth. Uh, where now it's, it's tough with social media. You really can't, uh, I don't blame the guys at all. Um, you get all these instances where, you know, the phones are out and videos and pictures and, you know, different, different versions of what actually really happened. And it's not even worth the headache. You know, you have such a good opportunity as a player. It's, it's really not worth it anymore uh, for someone to ruin it like that. And you've seen some, some guys that get, you know, gotten some stuff that it wasn't even true. And to be in the, some of those conversations were horrible, uh, horrible things for them to go through horrible uh, stabs at their character. These kind of things are, you know, not, again, those are the gambles you, you sort of take these days going and being that in the limelight. So now it's a lot of video gamers and they play, they play video games and stay in and, and drink and, you know, some of the other guys kind of chirp drinking their protein shakes and playing video games. But that's, that's actually like the big, <laughs> the big concern now as a coach, you know, it's, it's like, are you going to bed in time? But it's not from staying out. It's from staying in and playing video games. Maybe shutting off your console. Our Twitch, in the morning, you know? our Twitch stream just went crazy, by the way. <laughs> oh, boy. You probably sleep better after a few beers than, uh, you know, th- three hours of Fortnite, too. So stimulating. It's, it is, you know, that's it's, it's tough. You know, that's I think even, uh, you know, that was uh, that's that's kind of the feedback now. Guys are staying up. Some guys are staying up really late playing Fortnite or playing video games. So different different era. Um, you know the products. Everything's changing, right? The game's changing a lot. The products changing. The interaction with the communities with the players. Everything's changing. So it's a whole different landscape. And um, where it goes, nobody knows. But it's it's definitely you know we're seeing some pretty electric hockey player these days. You know, and you guys have the best one going in Connor McDavid. So game's definitely coming to a, a cool place and I'm excited about it for sure. I think the fans are as well. You're seeing some of every single night. There's, there's just highlights that are, are nuts. The way the guys are, the way they're moving how fast they're moving, how skilled they are, how fast they you know execute with that speed. It's, it's fun to watch. So I think we're getting ready to, uh, let you go, but I got, I got to ask you something that's totally off script. Are you in the best shape of shape of your life now? You look pretty good, Rob. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing some CrossFit, my buddy here, Jakobs. <laughs> um, my friend, I got dove into that a little bit. So I've been, you know, I've been skating a lot. I, honestly, I could probably make a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hey, go. Yager's <laughs> still going, right? <laughs> I, you know, I just, people keep saying to me, are you only really 35? Yager's 50. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, you know, before uh, guys on a different level. I'll say my kind of last words, and I'll let Mike take it from there. But uh, Rob, you know, I I can't think of many players who I can say played seven games for an organization that uh, means so much to Oilers fans. There was something about watching you uh, when you went back to London and just lighting it up that season like in awe of uh, how you went back and um, I, you like you took the took the league by storm that year in the OHL was was awesome and and just seeing the creativity with with which you played the game I think you know it 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 is a testament to uh, the style and creativity of your play 
uh, just that most Oilers fans know who you are. Uh, and there's probably a ton of guys that played, you know, six, seven games and nobody would know who they were. But um, uh, there's a lot of Oilers fans that definitely know who you are and, and consider you an Oiler uh, still. Uh, and uh, I, I'm excited that we got the chance to talk to you. And, and maybe someday I play in a lot of um, in a lot of the alumni charity games uh, around Canada when I can. And, and maybe someday I'll be able to catch you at one and we can uh, shoot the puck around or something would be awesome but uh great having you on here and i'll let mike take it from here great um yeah thank you i i was actually surprised i thought you played way more than seven games with the oilers i uh you know kind of a, a little bit of show prep i'm, I'm looking back and i'm like you only played seven games what um you definitely left it left a mark on, on me and uh you know kids today if they go and they they youtube the things you were doing i mean um, I think you, you know, you, what Trevor Zegras does is phenomenal, but like I said earlier, like you being able to do that while skating and not, not like at a standstill, pick up the pocket and twirl it around is, you know, it was phenomenal then it's phenomenal now, and it'll be phenomenal 20 years from now. Um, and, and, you know, what you're doing now is, is amazing. Like I said, you're, you're like the, you know, millennial version of, of Howie Meeker break, breaking down, uh, plays and, and, you know, the not using the stopper right there, but just kind of on the fly showing us kind of inside the mind of, of, you know, McDavid dry cycle and, and that kind of stuff. It's, it's amazing. And, uh, I wish you nothing but success in, in your personal life, uh, with your family and, and what you're doing uh, now in, in this stage of your life. Um, thanks for coming on Rob. And, um, yeah, anytime you want to come back, we'd love to have you and, uh, you know, thank, thanks again. No problem, guys. Thanks. I appreciate you thinking of me and, and reaching out. And uh, I'm happy to come on anytime you guys want. We can, if you want to do a video breakdown someday, I'm, I'm happy to let me know. I'll get a pile of clips for you and we can go over them if the fans want something. Uh, whatever. If you want to do some kind of theme for it, I'm happy to do it. So um, I appreciate you guys having me on again. I, I love talking hockey and, and I wish it, you know, I wish it was more than seven games in Edmonton. It was something I was excited about maybe coming there and, and making a spark and, it would have been cool to have a guy like Hemsky and a guy like myself maybe to, to entertain, but you know, it didn't work out that way and everything happens the way it goes and that happens the way it does for a reason. So very happy and appreciative of, of even the chance to be drafted by Edmonton in the first round, but um, thanks for your time. And thanks for having me on guys. Honestly, if you, anytime you want anything, reach out and uh, happy to come back on and do some clips. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm just going to end it, uh, Mike, if you don't mind this way, um, uh, we're, we're talking hockey and, uh, you know, obviously never played NHL, but played on a team called the Fockers in, in Calgary for a number of years. And, um, we had a guy pass away this morning, a good guy. Uh, so it just felt like, uh, you know, um, it's a worthwhile tribute to do it on one of our shows. Uh, JJ, you're a good guy gone too soon. Uh, always a teammate and, and you guys know anytime you lose a teammate you know no matter where it is it's a big deal and this guy leaves behind um you know a couple of young kids and and a wife and and uh 
hey, I didn't want to bring it up early because uh, <laughs> it's good. You know, I want to have an odd, awesome and positive show, but uh, this, I think, is worthwhile because this guy was um, certainly just a quirky, fun guy. You know, you talk about locker rooms and that, and uh, he was the guy that everybody had a lot of fun with in the locker room with the jokes and everything like that. And we've all had those guys in our locker rooms uh, along the way. And anyway, just wanted to say a quick tribute. And to everybody else, uh, have a great day. And to you, Robbie, have a great night.